In today's show, we're talking NBA draft with Albert Gim of No Ceilings. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. Recording this show out of order as well, so it's recording before Game 1 of the NBA Finals. So I don't even know what's happening in Game 1 or in Game 2, but congratulations to the teams that have won those games. I don't know. So anything that's happened in the last couple of days, that's why I'm not talking about it on this show. But we are here to talk about some NBA draft prospects, including someone that I am very interested to talk about, and that is Amen Thompson. We're going to be talking Jed Howard, Ricky Council, and another Highly intriguing player, Amani Bates, as well as Tamani Kamara. They're the five guys we're talking about with Albert Gim of No Ceiling. So I think it's the first time Albert's been on. We might as well get him in right now. All right, here he is. Let's bring him in. Albert Gim, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Appreciate you having me on. I'm, uh, I'm going well. We're getting closer and closer to the NBA draft. We are getting closer to the end of the NBA season. And we are all, all everyone is, a lot of people are already switching to draft mode, but everyone's going to be there in a week or so after the NBA finals are done. It's an exciting time. We had the withdrawal deadline yesterday. This show is being released about four or five days later than that. Um, quickly, was there anything that surprised you, though, on the uh, withdrawals? Um, if I had to pick one, I'd say a Dembona uh, okay. from UCLA, a guy that, you know, our collective at No Ceilings were pretty high on. Um, we're kind of sad uh, that he's going back to school, but at the same time, we can understand. We heard that, you know, he's had some issues with the shoulder, wasn't able to really show um, a lot to teams during workouts and stuff. So I, I think that's the name that stuck out to me, at least. I think the one to me was probably Trey Alexander. Um, oh, yeah. That was that was a bit of it. There was another one that, that surprised me somewhat as well. I can't remember who it was, but that, that one was pretty surprising to me to see Trey Alexander uh, go back to school. But there were quite a few players that went back. And I think part of it is the, I guess, perceived top-end weakness of next year's classes of those guys think well if we have big years we can jump from pick 28 to pick 14 or pick 12 or if if things go right and I, I do understand that uh to a degree so it will be interesting to see what happens in college basketball does strengthen the college basketball field next season but what i have been asking everyone albert coming on is the first five picks in the draft we know what the teams are but what would you do with those first five picks i, I know what you're going to do at pick one but what are you going to do through for the other four picks uh, pick one, probably go Victor. Yeah, um, okay. pretty clear, right? Uh, pick two for me, I'd go Brandon Miller. Um, I know that's not like the popular pick. I I, I understand that. Yep. Um, I just like his game a lot. Um, I'd go Scoot three. Um, I think that totally works. Um, and then four and five, I, I think it's pretty open. Um, for me, I I I think Jarris Walker needs to go top four. Uh, that's just me. Um, I love his game. I think he's unbelievable. I think he's underrated, severely underrated. And then I'm okay with Cam Whitmore going five. So those would be my top five guys. 
That's interesting because it is a little bit different to the way I've done that. I just did a mock draft. Well, I haven't recorded it yet, but it was released mm-hmm. before this, and I had Walker down at seven. But I think that after the, I think the top two are clearly Victor and Scoot, and then after that, I think you know I'd probably have a men a little bit higher. But I think there's five or six guys that go between three. I think there's a clear top eight, but then three to eight is pretty iffy. Not iffy. It's like I don't know where they go. Like they they. Whatever decision people make in that spot, I can understand it. So if you want, if you think Walker's going to blow up and go pick four, I get it. And I, if you think Taylor Hendricks is there or Asar Thompson or Amen Thompson or Brandon Miller or whoever, I don't think there's much difference. That's why when I, I talked about this with someone last week with the piss and sliding to five, yeah, it's, it's shit that they didn't get pick one or two, but there's so many good players in that area that might very, very comfortably end up being the third best player in this class. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I totally understand that. I, I think... Um, obviously, we're going to talk about Amen later, but I- I'm a little bit lower on him. And Jarris, uh, I know Metcalf, uh, Tyler Metcalf talked about him with you, but yep. I think he's a guy that was just just wasn't given the opportunity to shine and show off the things that he's capable of doing in college. Um, I think there's a lot more to him offensively that people haven't seen yet, and that's why I have him that much higher. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing about all the stuff he used to do at ING. Um, yeah. Handling the ball, running offense, all that sort of stuff will be really interesting to see how that develops in the NBA. But now I am glad that we are going to talk about a player that you are higher on because I actually just I just did that mock draft and I bumped this guy down. I'm lower on him. So let's let's hear the counter argument. Let's um bang, bang. let's talk about Jet Howard from Michigan, who had some injury problems during the season. He's 19, he's good size wing, really strong shooter. My concern and my question is like what else? What else are you doing? Like the shooting's great. I love that, but can you do something else? And you're you're gonna, you're gonna sell me on it. What what else can you do? Yeah, I think my my biggest thing for Jed Howard is when you have a guy that that is that big. Um, he's a big guy, six eight, might even be six nine. Uh, the biggest thing with him is obviously the shooting is there, the movement shooting is there, really exciting stuff, especially at that size. But also the handle is really special uh, for his uh, for you know being a six eight six nine guy. He's got a really really tight handle. Um, my co-host uh, Corey Tulba, we do the draft act NBA pod together. He was even saying that he might have one of the top two top three handles in this class, and that's something that he I believe was able to show off in spurts but as you mentioned before he did struggle with injuries um we we just did an interview with taylor hendricks as well and taylor hendricks was telling us like yeah man like that angle the ankle injuries that he had he was really going through it because you know he he was um teammates with jet howard before in high school and so um yeah just you know i I don't think he's able to flash everything but also really underrated passer um you can run pick and roll with him he can make the hook pass he can make the weak side hit he can make the little pocket pass pick and roll stuff um i i understand the warts on him defensively uh he was not the best however i thought he did show some growth throughout the season a rebounding is a real issue for him considering his size um um, he really needs to rebound the ball better but once again like i I don't want to just put it on the injury stuff but injury stuff was real with him i also think he has a great frame that's going to fill out really well on the next level and i think with better health with more athleticism with the frame that he has and also like he's really flexible which is something that i don't think we talk enough about like as a prospect for his size when he's when he has the ball in his hand and he's making moves there's real good flexibility to him that i think is advantageous and makes his handle that much more effective so i actually see him potentially even being a number one option one day if everything pans out He's an interesting player because the shooting is obviously interesting. The size is interesting. The lack of defense is, and, and rebounding is is bad, and, and that does need to be fixed. But there's so many players who are sliding that you hear, not necessarily sliding, but are perhaps viewed lower by some, including me, that the, the, the thing that comes up is oh, he's injured. Like, 
Okay, Keontae George had this back problem. Did that impact his shot selection and shooting? Maybe. Nick Smith, injured all season. Um, yeah, Howard, injured. I'm tr- uh, Derek Whitehead, obviously, the foot injury really hurt him. Um, there was, I think Derek Lively had some injury problems during the season. There's so many of these players who came in highly touted, got injured, never really caught the flow of, of the team. I think even Cam Whitmore had an injury early in the season as well, and mm-hmm. that maybe impacted some of what he was able to do. So there's just so many of these guys who we had these high hopes for. They showed flashes, but they weren't able to get in rhythm, and they got hurt, and they missed time and all this sort of stuff that does impact so much. And that's why it is a hard class, I think, to evaluate because of that. With Jet, one thing that does stand out to me that's interesting is a solid enough assist-to-turnover ratio. Now, it's not huge. It's 2.3 versus 1.4 per 36. That's a 1.6 assist-to-turnover, which is a positive. Is he a guy that, you know, the size is there. We love this shooting, size, playing on the wing. It's all hyper-valuable in the NBA. Is the passing something? You said he can be a number one option. Can he actually be a guy that you can run some stuff through in that regard, or is he just more going to be a, a shooter and scorer? I think it's really important to keep the context in mind. Um, he was playing with Hunter Dickinson, and if you watch, I mean, that Miss, that Michigan team, they loved to throw Hunter Michigan uh, Hunter Dick, Dick, Dickinson the ball in the post and kind of just let him work. Um, wasn't always the most effective offense or the most uh, aesthetically beautiful offense to watch, um, but I feel like in a different context with, you know, more opportunities, like, once again, for me, the 1% outcome for Jet is him being like a number one option. But even if he's a number two, he can run second side stuff for you, can run pick and roll, can make decisions for you in a really healthy way. And I think with more volume and with the handle that he has, the shooting threat, and I, I really do believe there's passing chops to him. Um, we're just running out of pick and roll stuff. So once again, for me, I, I really do think that's like the really high end outcome. But even as a secondary guy with his 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 size and shooting and the passing ability with the handle, I think he's really, really valuable. So how high are you on him? Like, are you higher on him than Kobe Bufkin? Is he a lottery player too? Is he a top 10 player? Like, where is he for you? So, um, yeah, so I, people may take this as like a hot take type of thing, but I have him top five um, oh. on my big board. Ooh. I know. Let's yeah, go. I know. Yeah. And, uh, but for me, it's, it really is a part of the evaluation, but also a gut thing. Um, I wrote a piece about him back in December, January, and I, he hasn't moved out of my top five because it, it's just something that I feel in my gut that I think in a different context with better health, with NBA coaching, NBA setting, NBA context, I think it's just going to get better. So he's one of those guys. He's my favorite guy in this class that I, I would really be willing to take a bet on. This is where we get to that. That's spicy. I, I enjoy that. So that means yeah. to you, like Orlando has picked six in the draft. They are crying out for shooting. So to you, you're sitting there, Jeff Welt, when you go bang, like that's it, easy. Let's let's take Jed Howard. Even though like in most cases you might be able to get him at eleven, but if you're just going, I want this guy, like that's that's does that work for you? Is that perfect for you? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like a couple of years ago when the Thunder went and took Giddy where they did, mm-hmm. um, they had no problem doing that. It, he was their guy. They took him with full confidence. Um, that's how I feel about, about Jet. If he was there and I was uh, sit, uh, sitting there at six, I'd take him no problem. I'd feel great about that pick. That's one of the things about the NBA draft is I can sit here and go, man, Albert, you okay? Like you've lost your mind. But we, we all get stuff wrong all the time. Like I yes. had I had Giddy at pick six in that draft. So I feel really good about that. But I also had... You know, Killian Hayes at pick three the year before, and I feel stupid about that, right? So we all get stuff wrong. NBA teams get stuff wrong literally all the time. So that might work out, and you, you stick to what you, you see, you seek what you believe. I'm way lower on Jet than you, and that's totally sure. fine. One of us is going to be right. One of us is going to be wrong. Actually, we might both end up being wrong because I've got him like in the 20s, and he might end up being like the 15th best player in this class. Who knows? Yeah. But there is, there's clear skills there. The size is there. The shooting is there. Um, that's all really good. I'm worried about some of the other stuff, but that's why, that's why we have people on to... to 
take you know, take some different opinions or throw some uh, different perspectives on these players. We're going to get back with a player that you are lower on, and it's a player that I'm actually higher on. So it's good that we, we can debate this stuff. We'll get to him in a second. But before I do that, today's episode is brought to you by the Game Time app. When you're looking for tickets to your favorite event, maybe it is to see your favorite rookie play their first NBA game, whether it's concerts, musicals, theater, comedy, baseball, hockey, Stanley Cup finals, game time has it all. You don't have to plan this stuff months in advance. They've got their last minute ticket price options that are there. They throw flash deals out there. They have the lowest price guarantee, the event cancellation protection as well. If you find a ticket in the same section, same row, at a cheaper price, they refund you 110% of that difference. So you're always going to be protected that you're not paying too much for those tickets. You get views from the seat on the app. Everything is there. You couldn't ask for anything more. And plus, you don't have they don't email you the tickets. You don't have to dig around trying to find that email. They just sent it straight through to the app on your phone. So it's there. Bang, show it. You go in. Easy as you like. Download the Game Time app. Create an account. Use the code LockdownNBA and you get 20 bucks off for your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create that account. Redeem the code LockdownNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price. Guaranteed. All right, let's uh, bang a reality check on someone. I've been waiting to talk about Amen Thompson for a couple of weeks now. We've I've done a sale with somebody, and now we're doing Amen, who I I do have at number three. I just think the athleticism, the there's defensive ability, the feel, the vision, the smarts is there. But I I'm not gonna lie, I'm shit scared of the shooting. Like I, it might not ever happen. Um. There are plenty of corollaries of these sort of players who had never developed. Ben Simmons, a little bit different because Simmons never would take threes. He would just refuse to. And men takes them. The other side of that is Lonzo Ball, who was a bad shooter and became an unbelievably good shooter as a three-point shooter in the NBA, like a 40% guy for multiple seasons who worked on it with that horrible form and became really good. Um, I just, I believe in the feel. I believe in the vision. I believe in the athleticism. I worry because I, 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 nobody really knows how to evaluate overtime elite prospects, Albert. Um, so what is it just, what are you worried about? Is it the shooting? Is it the level of competition stuff with a man? Because I know there are plenty of people who are like, I'm not, I wouldn't even take any of the Thompsons in the top 15. So I just don't believe anything they did at that level. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, that last part was pretty good. Um, I think for me, it, it he was one of the most difficult prospect to scout um, in this class for me i i everything that you said is so spot on if we start to consider the context the level of competition that he played um the shooting is a real thing now i i did want to go over some numbers right um in year one in the ote he only took 61 total jump shots which was alarming um for you know something that we talk about all the time on our pod is that the willingness to shoot has to be there right and he only shot 29.5% 29.5% on those 61 total jump shots in his first year. In year two, obviously went up a lot. He took about 114 jump shots, I believe. That, But the problem is that percentage dipped to 28.9%. Um, and the mo- most concerning number that um, my, my co-host Corey Catalaba and Tyler Rucker, they highlighted, highlighted in their dual piece on him and actually both the Thompson twins is that he shot 33.3% on unguarded catch and shoot jumpers. And so I think for me, this is my biggest concern. And some people are going to take this as me being a hater on him. It's not that I hate on his game at all. It's just, I have real concerns because at the time that we're recording this right now, the NBA finals are about to start. We've just gotten through the conference finals and you have to start to ask yourself as you're evaluating these prospects, can you see these players play in these types of high leverage moments, situations, series, right? Um, 
from what we're seeing, if we have a ball dominant guy with a really iffy or terrible jumper, great athleticism, those types of guys tend to scare you a little bit. They tend to not play in crunch time and they tend to not be as effective. And then I look at Amen and I think, okay, let's see, like what team does he end up going to, right? If he ends up on a team that already has a ball dominant guard, can he play off ball? My answer to that question right now would be absolutely not. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I do think he's an electric athlete. I do think the passing, the feel is absolutely there. Right. The shooting does really scare me, though. In year one, he had that pronounced leg kick, weird posture, um, a kind of disconnect from the top and bottom of his shot. Um, his follow through was kind of going out at a weird angle. I, I think, you know, in year two, it looked better. But then today they re released a video from, you know, his workout with the Blazers. And you start to look at the mechanics of his shot and it looks awkward again. There's mm. a dip in the right right shoulder it looks like that dip and that turn for him him trying to get like his elbow straight kind of turns his whole body everything looks disconnected again and then you start getting worried again right and i understand like these open gym workouts they can be a little misleading one way or another a couple of years back if you think about devin vassell and the videos that came out with oh, him yeah. during pre-draft stuff and everyone overreacted but with Amon thompson we're talking about years of film now of his jump shot really being iffy and my thing is if he's a guy that you can't play off ball, but you want to give him a lot of usage and he doesn't have that jump shot, when we're playing slowed down, high intensity basketball in the NBA, how effective will he actually be? And so, you know, you asked me to share where I have Jed Howard at. And I have Jed Howard top five. Currently, I actually have Amen at 18. So, which I know is a low number for a lot of people, but mm. I, considering everything that I've said, it feels right to me right now. And I and I I genuinely want to say that this is not me hating on Amen. That's gen like I truly kind of landed at 18 for him. So no, I yeah, I had to throw I, that in there. Yeah, I get it. Like I I understand that the shooting is a real worry. And you talked about you know workouts of Dumba, so which is a great one because he shot well in college and he shot well in the NBA. But people started to panic about. And even I think that happened similarly with Mikael Bridges. Um, there was some, well, what's going on? Why has he changed his form? What's happening on the shot? All that sort of stuff. I remember that happening as well. But those guys, you're right, had film and history of being good shooters. And there's literally no evidence at all of a man being a good shooter. It hasn't happened. It's not like, well, this was a bad workout and things didn't go right and he's working on something or it's an injury. It's, like a ne it's never happened. And I am worried about that yeah, easily. And as I said, this class is so weird. And I've said this multiple times. Someone who gets drafted at 25 might be the sixth best player in this class. There's like 25 guys who I could consider top 10 guys, I reckon, with things moving around. And they're having him at 18, yeah, it's way lower than everybody else. But that's why you look at what you do and the way you think about it. And I, I get it. I completely understand. I am... I, I bet a little bit on the athleticism and the, the, the passing and the feel and just hope that he can get in there. But I guess now now I think about it and dig into it, the fact that he's been at overtime elite, like he's not there to learn schoolers. I can't remember who it was that that um to play school. Who was that? I think it was like an Ohio State quarterback at one point, Cardell Jones. I don't know. Someone who said that. Like he's not there to do anything else apart from basketball and yeah. it didn't improve. But that, that gives me some level of concern. I Just to contrast that, because there was improvements in Asar's shooting. How? Yes. Where, where do you have Asar? Like, you significantly higher? I actually like Asar. I, I I definitely think he took some steps in terms of in, in the right direction with his shooting. I also think he's kind of underrated um, with his playmaking and athleticism. And also, I like the fact that he kind of played a secondary role to his brother. Mm. I actually have that. Uh, <clears throat> actually, have Asar 
at eight. And, and Josh, really quickly, if I can, I, I think it's really important, something that I've been talking about a lot recently on different pods as well, is that we're kind of in that season now where almost every media outlet has a big board or has a mock draft. And we start to see names next to numbers and we start to correlate said names with said numbers. And then, you know, when you start thinking about these prospects, you, you think, oh, you know, Thompson Twins has to be top five. Cam yeah. Whitmore has to be top seven, whatever. But I, I think it's it's you have to be careful sometimes about you know correlating names and numbers because it's not always the case and that's not always how nba teams view these players and so i I did want to throw that in there as well no i I agree with that completely and it is hard to sometimes break out of that and example for me is someone like uh grady dick who's people like yeah he'll go top 10 i'm like yeah i don't know about that like i've got him like i think i moved him to 15 or 16 and i could see him moving down further than that jordan hawkins as some people say at 10 i've got him at like a 24 just like just moving things around like trying to work out how this all plays out is is really it's really tough to do and we we have to sort of stick with what we have been looking at for however long we've been looking at it for versus getting swayed by and the other thing that you can get swayed by as well is that some people and this is hard to differentiate some people put out a mock draft based on what they feel or based on what they have heard teams are going to do so if you hear a team is going to take Jalen Hood Shafino at number nine do you then get swayed and go I'm going to push him up my board or do you go no I don't believe that he's that player um, right. So I'm not going to push him higher. And that's there's always a distinction between that sort of stuff, which is really, really intriguing. We've got three more players to talk about, including a very, very interesting player later on in the show. We'll get to that in one second. But today's episode is also brought to you by the guys over at Price Picks. Through the NBA Finals, they've got their $1 million daily Superflex promotion. That means every day someone has a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry that's placed after 8 a.m. Eastern, we randomly selected every day. Whoever gets that chance gets a six-pick flex with the following payouts. You get a million bucks if you get six out of six. You get five out of six, right? You get 80,000. You get four out of six, you get 16,000. And it all leaves is player projections going over and under, whether it's points or rebounds or threes or different sports, hockey, baseball, NASCAR, PGA, boxing, MMA, and of course, the greatest sport of all, disc golf. It is all over there. Go to pricepicks.com slash million. You opt in to be eligible to win that million dollar entry. Once you opt in, all you do is play the game like normal and you get you get a chance to be that lucky winner. Download the PricePix app. Go to PricePix.com. You sign up and you play daily fantasy sports. You can also get 100% instant deposit match up to $100 if you use our code Locked On. Yeah, just Locked On, not Locked On NBA. Just Locked On. If you deposit 100 bucks, you get 100. If you deposit 50, you get 50. Simple as that. Enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100 and get in for that million dollar opportunity. All right, let's go to Dayton. Now let's talk about a player who's risen up, I think, recently over, well, over the last couple of weeks, and that's Tamani Kamara. 21-year-old wing, 6'7", probably a, a late, mid to late second round player. The thing that stands out immediately looking at that is 61% true shooting. That's obviously a really valuable number. 10, 10 rebounds per 36, good steal and block numbers, um, 36% from three. Like If all that sort of stuff holds, that's a really, really strong wing player, an efficient scorer, efficient rebounder, uh, a solid shooter, a good defender. You can't ask for a huge amount more. He's not getting by by playing for Dayton. It's a slightly level, lower level college program. He's not getting by by you know, 33 usage. He's sort of sitting in that 25, which will scale back in the NBA. But there's a lot of other things to um, to hang his hat on, which is something I've talked about with a lot of other people, is that these guys, say like a Jalen Wilson from Kansas who got by with this huge usage playing for Kansas, but how does that work in the NBA? Whereas Kamara can say, well, okay. Even if he gets 17 usage, he's a smaller role player. There's a lot of other stuff happening here. So are you are you in on Kamara? Because I haven't had him as a draftable player until probably the last week or two, and I have bumped him up just looking into him a little bit more. Where are you with Tamani? 
No, absolutely. I, I think I'm with you. I think um, as I got into his scout, he's a guy that definitely moved up my board a ton as well. I, I think with Kamara, the thing that's interesting is the first thing you notice with him is he kind of has like stilts for arms. Or like, you know, or when we were growing up and kids were on crutches, they would like fool around and act like their crutches were their arms is kind of what Camaro's <laughs> like. His wingspan is just unbelievable. Um, great mobility for his size, great vertical pop, has really light and nimble feet on defense. Um, I think he's going to be a multi-positional defender. Um, according to uh, Synergy, he took 72% of his shots at the rim, which explains a lot, right, with the true shooting percentage that you mentioned. Yep. Um, shot 36% from three on 2.4 attempts per game, which isn't super high value no. uh, volume, but, you know, I, I thought he should, shot it well enough um, at the comment. You know, he had... A, a great, great showing at uh, the Portsman Invitational, then went on to the Combine, played really well there. Um, I, I just think he's a guy that will offer you a lot of versatility on both sides of the floor. He's also like a pretty good passer, too. I, I think um, it's something that he needs to clean up a little bit. He can take some risks at times, but he can make like really nice touch passes, interior passes as well. Um, just, you know, you can run pick and roll with him uh, as a role guy who, you know, is going to have the mobility and the size and the vertical pop to really help there. Um, yeah, and, and like I kind of hate to do the whole same school comp type of thing, but like you can kind of see a little bit of Obi Toppin to him um, as well, you know, in terms of maybe what his role might look like early on off the bench for that uh, three or four that you can, you know, rely upon to, you know, give you some solid defense, rebounding, whatever. Although Toppin really had to work on his defense on the NBA. Um, but yeah, I, I like Kamara a lot. I think he's going to be a really solid uh, wing four type of player. Um, that I, if he continues to increase the shooting from outside, I, I think is going to help him a lot. The I just realized that on that graphic, his um, age is wrong. So I'm just, he's actually 23. He's not 21 because he was a four-year player yeah. at uh, at Dayton. Um, yeah, look, uh, the, the defense, I'm pr I feel pretty good about. The the wingspan is really intriguing. Um, the top in comparison is is interesting. Obviously, the, the same school stuff. And there's so many like inherent biases we have when we're talking about guys in terms of like, is their name the same? Is their school the same? Are they the same race? Are they the same height? Do yeah. they say, have the same hairstyle? And breaking through that stuff is tough. But yeah, it gives you context in terms of uh, school system, level of opponents, all that sort of stuff as well. So it can be useful. There's always pros and cons to that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you're right about the three-point volume with Kamara, where the shooting numbers are okay, but they hadn't been until this season. It was 34, 26, 17 through his first three years. So the constant improvement is strong, but one thing we always like to look at is what did the free throw shooting look like? And he improved. He went eight percentage points higher than as a junior, but still only 67% from the line is a little bit um, concerning there. So in terms of comparing him with these other sort of late, late riser wing prospects, one that you know, comes to mind is Omax Prosper. Where do you see that comparison between those two? I see it pretty similar. Um, I actually don't have like a huge gap between the two guys. Obviously with Omax, you know, he plays really hard, but I think Kamara plays really hard as well. Um, another thing with Kamara that I that I wrote in my notes that I really liked about him is I thought like he, he timed his cuts really well. Um, I, I think like as an off-ball guy, I think that's really, really important. Um, I like the fact that he can finish with both hands in the paint as well. Um, shows good patience too when he's, you know, taking a mis mismatch down into the block. Um, I, I think both guys are going to offer a lot in terms of the role that they're going to play, which I think is another important thing, right? We have to make sure to look at these guys within the right, yeah. correct lens. Um, we're not looking at Kamara as a guy to be a starting three or four from day one. But once again, I, I think as a bench guy coming off the bench and, you know, maybe early on, even just garbage time minutes or whatever, but 
over the course of his career with more development, NBA coaching, whatever, I can see him being a really solid wing four type of guy. Let's talk about a name who's a little bit more well-known. We'll go to Arkansas to the SEC, Ricky Council, the fourth. I always love someone that's a fourth. I'm waiting for the first NBA player to come in that's got a fifth as their suffix. It hasn't happened yet. We've had a couple of fourths. So we had Wade Baldwin. We've got Wiki Council waiting for a fifth. That's got to come soon. So I always love seeing a fourth. But this is a guy who comes in, a 6'6 wing. Um, he's 22, probably an early to mid-second round player, though some people have seen not even have him in the second round at all. And I just look at that and go, all right, 27% from three, what's going on? Because you're shooting 79% from the line, that's really strong, but that overall efficiency stinks. The rebound and assist numbers, that's per 36 on the screen. They stink. What's he, what does he do? Like, There's a lot of name recognition because you played for Arkansas with a lot of other prospects and a strong team. Um, but there's some there are some red flags there. Yeah, no, I'm with you. He he did play on a strong team, but the one th- caveat that I do want to bring up is although the team that he played for was strong, the spacing that that he played with on that team was not strong, um, which I think definitely hurt him as well. Um, I, I know, I think 91% of his jumpers came off the dribble, okay. uh, which is tough, right? And obviously, I think he won't be asked to do on the next level. He only shot 30% on them as well. Um, but the thing with Council is that he can pretty much get to the to, to the rim at will. Really, really good athlete, good first step. Um, it's just the outside shooting is not there. But as you mentioned, I've always believed that free throw shooting is a great indicator for um, the type of shooter that you're going to be um, and the type of shooter that you actually are. So the fact that he was right at 79%, I think, is a really, really good number and gets you excited, right? Because once again, yeah. in the NBA, lower usage, more spacing, um, maybe that shooting does get better. But in terms of the mechanics of the jump shot, I will say, like considering the athlete that he is and the type of lift that he gets on his mid-range jump shots, it's weird that from three, he doesn't really jump at all. Um, um, it, it, it's a really low lift, and I thought you know there were some inconsistencies with his base and his footwork. But um, overall, you know, he's a wing that has some good ball skills, can handle the ball. Um, another guy who can kind of run second side uh, stuff for you. Pretty good passer. Um, I, I, I like the fact that he can make p- passes with both hands as well. Um, my actually, my actual concern with him was on defense. Okay. Um, I actually thought he was pretty flat-footed as a defender um didn't think he had the quickest feet considering how athletic he is but i think he did compensate for a lot of that with you know his his physique his strength um his athleticism and his length so he's a guy that i kind of have in my 40s and 50s type of range not a guy that you know i'm looking at even considering with a first round pick but a guy that you know if you grab him in the 40s and 50s and you could look at him to develop as a three and d type of wing i've got him i've got him at 44 at the moment um Mix in the mix with guys like Jordan Walsh around that area, uh, Andre Jackson, Jalen Wilson, Kamara is a little bit lower than that, but in that sort of area. Um, how much like how, how much change for him because he played for Wichita State previously before coming to Arkansas, and some of the numbers are a little bit different playing uh, at Arkansas State. If I just bring up his numbers there, he shot forty four percent as a freshman, limited attempts, but he was at eighty five from the line there. He played, he came off the bench for Wichita State and then moved into a starting job with Arkansas. So it is a little bit hard to see or contextualize the improvement from year to year because there's a change in school and system. What what do you make of that change in moving schools to the bigger school, playing a bigger role? Is that just an age thing? Is that a development thing? How have you been able to pass that through? That's such a hard question because it does kind of 
depend on context too, right? But I think the context that he ended up playing in in Arkansas, I think was interesting, right? Just because Nick Smith Jr., as you mentioned earlier, he did struggle with some yep. injuries. Um, there were stretches where Ricky Council was actually asked to do more, right? Than he, as we mentioned before, will be asked to do in the NBA. And so I, I just feel like the competition level that he played on, you know, with Arkansas was different for sure. But just the role, I think that role question is such an important question and an important important context piece for us to bring up per prospect. It really does depend. And I think there at Arkansas, obviously he had Anthony Black there, who's right on the ball, but also a guy that can function off the ball as well. And so Council was asked to play make a little bit. He was asked to go and get a bucket once in a while. He's asked to you know do stuff in isolation, which is just not his strength. You know, and, and it's going to be something that, once again, like I think if we look at now the next step, right, the next transition for him to an even harder level in the NBA, that has to be priority number one, really reducing that role, simplifying things for him and saying, hey, man, like from the beginning, we just need you to continue to work on shooting three. So spend the off season, lock yourself in a gym, take 4,000 threes a day, whatever you need. And we want to simplify your role in, in, in the NBA where we want you to be a solid defender, take threes. And then obviously, you know, as you develop as a three point shooter, leverage that into opportunities at the rim, because as we mentioned before, freak athlete does a great job of getting to the rim and attacking. The next guy, it's it's a really tough one. This is the last guy we're going to talk about, and it's Amani Bates, who was... I remember sitting down and watching... Right, we're getting this tele- televised. Chet Holmgren, Amani Bates, high school game. Like Everyone was watching it. It was a, a big buzz thing that was happening. He goes to Memphis, flames out, really, transfers back to Eastern Michigan, and raw numbers, like 19 points in 34 minutes a night. Okay, sure. But... There's so much context that's got to go behind this because that's high usage, it's low efficiency, it's poor shot selection. He's obviously really, really, he's tall, he's really skinny. Um, there's off-court, some off-court concerns, I think, here without as well with Bates. Um, there, and now that Zach Eady's gone back to school, I believe that Bates is going to be the guy where I get multiple people saying, man, you've got to take him in the lottery. He's a top 10 guy. And there'll be other people saying, no, we don't do it. But he's going to be the guy that gets um, overvalued because he was that number two recruit coming through high school, higher than Paolo Bunkero, Jabari Smith, Jalen Duran, these sort of players. He's going to get this this base hype that comes through from a lot of the high school stuff where, you know, I'm sure you knew about it, Albert. You know, you hear about this guy since he was like 14. Like this guy's the next thing coming and it just hasn't worked out at all. Why? Is it is it a, a mentality thing? Is it just you are just taking the wrong shots and you cannot sort of be corrected and you've run from whatever happened in Memphis and now you're trying to go to this bad school and be the number one guy and you were the number one guy, but it didn't translate into good offense necessarily or efficient offense. Um are you just out on him ever discovering this? I think it's a really difficult discussion, right? I think in a lot of ways, it almost feels like it was a social experiment, what Imani Bates went through, yeah. you know, him being kind of cast as like the second coming of whoever um, and at such a young age. And he had so much hype around him from such a young age as well. And I think it's tough. I think on a basketball level, like him going to Memphis in year one, playing for Penny, tried to make him a point guard, which, I mean, that from the start was a bad sign and should have never happened in my opinion. Um, But to answer your question, I think for me, where I'm at right now is if I was working for an NBA front office, I actually wouldn't draft him at all. Um, is where I'm at with Amani Bates. I I think it's everything that you mentioned, right? If we talk about on offense, he's got a quick release, deep range, supreme confidence in in himself. Um, I, I think that's putting it in a nice way, right? Um, him having that supreme confidence in himself can also be detrimental to himself and to the team at times. I think 
but to be fair to him, our very own Maxwell Bomback of um, No Ceilings wrote a piece on him and was talking about how you know he has developed as a finisher at the rim. He uh, has a really good floater, good touch overall at the rim, uh, even on defense. Right there, there are signs of him getting better. I just he's got some real black hole tendencies, um, some absolutely paltry uh, passing numbers. Just mm -hmm. does not pass at all. Um, I think he's a limited, bad athlete. Um, don't like his frame at all. Um, I think obviously he's going to fight to add more weight and mass to him. I, I just don't think I, right now he's so skinny that from day one, NBA players are going to be licking their lips when they see him on the floor. They're just going to go at him. And I think anybody, whether it's a one, a two, three, like one to five, everyone's going to see him on the floor and they're going to go at him um, is where I think he's at physically. Um, so I love the fact that he's a player that believes in himself, a guy that took a shot by going to Eastern Michigan to try to try to rejuvenate his stock. But I don't see it with him at all. I it, Once again, if I was an NBA team, I actually wouldn't draft him. At the moment, I've got him at 62. So I, uh, I'm with you on that one. Um, so much of what you said there, I, I agree with. And he, again, he comes, I think, you know, moving to Eastern Michigan, if he had gone in there and just dominated and took all the right shots and made them efficient. You go, all right, okay, this is sort of what we were seeing. But he didn't. Like, he got the ball a lot. He was able to do what he wanted, and they still didn't go in. And taking, like, again, on a, a lesser team, it's going to be harder for you to do it. But if you want to prove that you're this player, that's the, that's what you got to do. Like, in that level of competition, you have to be able to you have to be able to do that, and you have to be able to you know, make those shots go in at that high level with all the other deficiencies that you have. I tell you what he sort of reminds me of, not, not 100%, but someone who I thought was a pretty highly rated prospect coming out of high school, um, struggled in in uh, in college, and that's uh, Brandon Boston, who I think showed a few little things in the NBA. They're not they're not exactly the same player. The level of hype of Boston was nowhere near what it was for Bates, um, even th through high school or college. But a guy that had that level of like, oh, okay, you're a first-round player, a, a lottery pick talent coming into college and then really struggling at Kentucky. And of course, Boston came out. He didn't transfer to a lower school the way Bates did. Um, and, but he's shown a few things in the NBA that make me think, oh, maybe he should have been drafted a little bit higher. So I can see that argument. But every other argument to me with Bates is just... I, I, I don't think I would do it. I, I, I'm with you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't draft him at this stage because there's just too many negatives and I didn't see enough from him this season to make me think that he's reined in some of the, the issues that we, that we have. Yeah, no, I'm 100% with you. Um, I've never been like a big advanced stats guy, but uh, one thing that we've been talking a lot about a lot at No Ceilings is um, box plus minus, and he had a negative 0 0.7, oh, which really is not oh. that is not good at all. And I think that reflects everything that you said. And as you mentioned, you know, he played for an Eastern Michigan team where he was kind of given the reins and he was given the freedom to do what he wanted, and his shooting percentage barely went up. I think it was very similar. Uh, so um, it was, I think it was just, 39 versus 40, if I look at it. Yeah, 39 yeah. versus 40. So, I mean, not much there. I, I just, I'm with you. I, I think he's a huge risk. Um, and I didn't even bring up the off-the-court stuff because I, I, I honestly don't know enough. But if, that's even, if there's even a hint of that to go with everything else that I said about my concerns with him as a prospect, he's kind of a hands-off type of guy for me. One of the other things to look at is there is... Having the ball that much, 
you've got to get more than five free throw attempts per game. I think like at that level, you should you should be getting seven or eight. You should be attacking the rim and being able to. But he can't. Like that's that's part of the problem is the size, the frame, the shot selection. That at that level, when you are that number one guy, and usage is that high, but it's all on it's all on jumpers. Really, like you're not putting that pressure yes. on the rim as much as you need to. And that's where you know if you had to see him go to that level and just dominate guys and and get to the line all the time by pressuring the rim. Um, you'd have a little bit more confidence in it. But you know, five is not a bad number, but when you play 34 minutes right. a night with 31 usage, like it needs to be seven, it needs to be eight, it needs to be really just putting that pressure on it. And that's part of that problem there. But I'm sure there's going to be plenty of people, Albert, that disagree with us on Bates and people will say, yeah, he's got to be a first rounder. You know, we've seen all these flashes. I'm with you. I'm, I'm not there uh, on Bates. But that brings us to the end of today's show. Albert, thank you for coming on and chatting about these prospects. Tell, uh, tell us what you've got cooking over at uh, No Ceilings at the moment. Oh, well, uh, at No Ceilings, this is literally the busiest time of the year. We're doing pods like this all over the place. Uh, we're pumping out free content five days a week, as I'm sure all my other you know cohorts and teammates have been mentioning on here. But uh, Josh, just want to say, really appreciate the opportunity to come on. Been a fan of yours for a while. Uh, listen to your fantasy basketball stuff for my teams that always end up in like fifth and sixth place. So uh, that always hurts. But uh, appreciate the time. Not at all, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. It's uh, It's been great to have you on. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And if you are here on YouTube, thumb it up and leave those comments down below. Tomorrow, I believe we're doing a 76ers season review show. That might change because I'm recording this four or five days before uh, it's being released. But hopefully, that's what we're doing. Uh, Did I say all the things to do? Yeah, you know what to do. Comment, subscribe, follow, blah, blah, blah. We're good. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.